0: Morning everyone, it's Mickey here, you are listening to Wikipedia and this week on the podcast I speak to returning guest Dr Dan Plews. And such a fun conversation, we talk about his recent foray into an animal based nutrition approach and how he found that with regards to his health, his performance and any of the sort of other nuance and, and stuff that he experienced We also talk about the importance of sodium for performance, we discuss our relative views on sweat testing and some of the problems that are associated with that, and we also talk about Dan's recommendations for those people headed into a hot summer of training or Kona for Hawaii Ironman, or any event where it is likely to be warmer than what you are currently used to. So what do you do about your sodium in that respect? And then finally, we touch on his most recent research that talks about the importance of habitual dietary fat intake for fat metabolism as a whole. And this is outside of pre-training nutrition strategies. So this is a super interesting uh, paper, very recently published and new information. So as always with Dan, it's a fun conversation. Now, For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dan, he is an applied sports scientist, researcher, coach and competitive triathlete. As an applied sports scientist, Dan has worked closely with athletes who have won more than 25 world and Olympic titles in sports, including rowing, kayaking and triathlon. Dan was part of Rowing New Zealand's preparations for both the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games as a sports scientist. And he was also part of Team New Zealand's effort um, in America's Car- Cup 2021. As a researcher, Dan has a PhD in exercise physiology with a particular interest in heart rate variability and over 30 peer reviewed publications to his name. Dan has coached three professional Ironman triathletes to sub eight hour times, including Terenzo Bazzoni, Jan Van Berkel, and Tim Van Berkel. Most recently, Dan has founded Endura IQ, which is an online learning hub for anyone interested in optimal long course triathlon performance. And Dan can be found over at Endura IQ, and over on Instagram at The where he's super informative with lots of really helpful tips for health, performance, and longevity. Before we kick into the podcast, though, just like to remind you the best way to support this podcast is to hit like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five star review. That way, the visibility of Wikipedia increases and more people are able to get the insights shared by some of the experts that I chat to on the show. And I just think that's uh, of benefit for everyone. The other way you can support the podcast, peeps, is to head over to mickeywillardin.com where you can subscribe to my recipe portal access for 12 bucks a month, not much really. You get over 900 recipes, regularly updated, access to pick my brain over anything nutrition related or health related, access to our members only Facebook page where we run written Q and A's and you can get your questions answered there as well or sign up to any number of my plans that I have available on my website for all of those benefits, plus a specific meal plan and shopping list for you. Alright team, please enjoy this conversation that I have with Dr. Dan Clues. Dan, how are you? Good to have you back.
1: Yeah, good, good, good. I feel like, you know when you get in these close proximity video things and you look at yourself i feel like i'm like looking older <laughs> it's always a i mean it's always a bit of a smack in the face isn't it
0: it is and i can confirm you are looking older
1: yeah it's so like, but it's
0: not from the COVIDs, though is it
1: no it's not no i'm i'm yet to be i'm made of sterner stuff so as <laughs> as, it, as it seems
0: it yeah. seems like it. Like almost everyone has, you know, gone down. Or if not that, then the flu, which seems to be so much worse, or some sort of combination of yeah. all of those uh, you know, those things. Yeah. But
1: Well we often... were I you mean, know, in this household we were a very snotty family for a couple like it was it seems to be circling for like three or four weeks, really. And mm. um but yeah, we kinda we kinda got through it. And you know, me and Kate we were talking about um we were saying Oh, we 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 never get sick, you know. We'd have the everything, then suddenly it's like, oh, we're sick for a month, and then my little girl, <laughs> then then Bella would had the first like vomiting bug on Monday, first time ever, yeah, poor little thing. But um, mm. yeah, we we got through it. We we That's still going strong.
0: That's good. That's a little bit like the cricketers, sort of the commentators' curse in cricket when they're like. The commentators are there, they were in the final hours, and they're like, these guys just have to stay in. They just have to stay in. Oh, he's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) you're like, ah, screw Stop
1: stop pretending like you know anything about cricket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I used to spend my entire days sitting down watching test cricket when I was a teenager. Just loved it. Oh, did you?
1: What a loser.
0: I I actually was quite lazy. Like, I was quite a lazy teenager. So reading cricket really suited me. Yeah, Um, well, of course, like, you know,
1: my my brother-in-law is a – yeah, you know, we he played for the Black Caps, right? A professional cricketer. So when I mm. – you know that?
0: Uh, I think I knew. I think I forgot that. But Yeah, yes, so I Grant, think, yeah. Grant
1: Elliott, Kate's brother. Yeah. He's um, my brother-in-law. But um, when I met Kate, I knew – you know, I'm English, but I'm, I didn't know anything about cricket, like nothing at all. But then I had to kind of go and watch. And, and by then he was playing for the Black Caps, so we were going to, you know, we were going to these games. And I'm like, whoa, I have to go and sit through these cricket games. <laughs> <laughs> But to be fair, when you know someone in playing it is a little bit more exciting. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, for yeah. sure. But of course we did not get you on to talk about cricket. Um I thought it would be great to chat Thank to good. you. Thank
1: goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a very some... short conversation.
0: <laughs> it'd be very short, yeah, and completely uninformed. Um yeah. so I really wanted to chat to you about a few things which I know you've had going on that we've had conversations about and I thought that the listeners would be interested because to be honest um people always sort of touch base with me and ask when I'm going to get Dr Dan Plews back on the show because yeah,
1: they really enjoy. are saying that to put, it, are you, are no. that
0: to put me up not at well, all I like... always
1: feel like I'm the person you call it when you can't find anyone else
0: May, I have podcast interviews stacked up, ready to publish. So it's Uh, certainly not a lack of uh, content I have. So um, it really is. It's just finding time in your busy calendar to um, to connect. So, look, I really want to start somewhere on a somewhat sort of controversial topic. It doesn't have to be controversial, but it's super interesting. Your carnivore approach. Yes. So... When you and I talked about this, may, some months ago now, because I, as I understand, you've sort of you're you're not quite there at the minute. Although I might be wrong, and you can update me on that. Um, what sort of transpired to make you think you might want to try it?
1: Um, well, I guess well, first and foremost, I it's not I didn't really go carnivore. Okay. I did the animal based approach, which is actually very different. So carnivore is more, um, it's literally meat, eggs water and salt salt water basically that's pretty yeah. much all it is whereas yeah. the animal based approach is a little it's a little bit more um liberal so you can have like you can have some dairy you can include um you can include some fruit um which also would include things like zucchini cucumber and pumpkin um and and also you can include some honey if you want to as well um but it's it's all about removing. I mean, this is this is this is what I know from the guidelines and listen, listen to how people say you should do it. Um, like Paul Saladino was one of the main people who I was who I was following. Um was uh, like removing toxic foods. So his argument is that plants are are good medicines, but they're not foods that you should have readily in your diet because they have to contain a lot of um toxins like um like um oxalates and lectins and like lectins in beans and stuff like that which um can affect your can affect your gut cause inflammation of the gut and then affect your digestion and can in, then um increase inflammation in some people so and I, and I was kind of and the reason i did it was because i was more interested really i was just seeing a lot of um talk online about it and i was like oh and then my, my friend was like oh i'm going to give it a go do you want to try it with me and then my arm is very very rubbery generally when it comes to stuff like that <laughs> so was <laughs> like oh why not i'll give it a go but one of the other main things about it is that because you remove a lot of the vegetables basically the, the leafy greens you then add in organ meat so you yeah. add in like heart um liver Um, you can have kidney, spleen, kidney, whatever, whatever it might be, but basically no to nutrition is what you have to add back in, which Mm. then will increase a lot of other um, nutrients as well. Like kind carnitine, carnosine, folate, um, I, you know, very rich in iron. I mean, you just have to look at liver compared to kale and it's, you know, there's not even a competition, right. In terms of the nutrient density of those particular, particular things. So, so that was the thing, but I think it was always my intention to try it you know and never really and I wasn't really I wasn't really convinced either way I was just kind of interested
0: well it's interesting so I um like maybe about 18 months ago Baz and I were like oh should we just give this carnival thing a go let's just see like let's just you know three weeks Uh, literally it was two days and I'm like I'm over this which was really and maybe in part because I'm not overly convinced by Saladino's argument like yeah. I understand Bruce coming from, and of course, the idea that plants have toxins isn't a new idea, and in fact, that's that's why they're beneficial to include in the diet, right? Because they've got that hormetic response that then upregulates our own anti-inflammatory and um, antioxidant systems. So, but of course, the dose is in the poison. So I suppose his argument is, is well, it sounds like his argument is no dose should be better. But yeah, there are so yeah, many. Exactly phytochemicals in foods which are so which allow our systems to work much more effectively i just i was i've never been convinced by his argument not that that's not to say that it doesn't work for people because i have clients i put on the carnivore approach because they've got the gut inflammation going on and they've got some autoimmune issues and so it is a you know it's like the gold standard yeah i mean it
1: definitely i mean you can't argue i mean you hear stories right of people where mm. it's really worked amazingly the thing is so so i started and i took i took i did some blood tests and um and i did a DEXA scan and you know my blood test came back really good you know like yeah. you know, everything was almost perfect and i'm not not that i'm perfect but you know it was, <laughs> they were they were um you know i couldn't i couldn't have really made them much better you know they were really really good basically um what so about your mate?
0: did your mate get blood tests done
1: yeah and he was the same yeah, so ah. we both were we were both really good, which is a bit. You of a guys pain. were both
0: perfect specimens of the human. Yeah, we were
1: both specimens, the human form. unfortunately. You know, <laughs> and then and then we had the Dexter, and you know, body fat was low, visceral fat was low, and so there wasn't much in that either. But so well, so they were you know you you when you when you're starting on a good point, you know, I guess if you're starting with high C-reactive protein or IL6 or some markers of information, right, you're, you're measuring those things and they're they're high. Then there might be a better point to start, but you know we, I we measured, I measured C reactive protein, measured fasting insulin, measured resting blood glucose, lessened all the cholesterol, the vitamin D, um, yeah, and everything was really good. So yeah, um, so yeah, so then, we, so then I went, we started, I started doing doing the diet, and I have to say that I felt really good on it, like really
0: good, mm, mm, very good, and yeah.
1: interestingly, my heart rate variability immediately went up and stayed up oh, um wow. very much so like and evident, like very noticeably um feeling very good and my energy levels were good um and and it, i actually enjoyed it and and you know I, I kind of i was eating raw liver every day 80 grams like
0: 80, 80 grams
1: yeah yeah it's it's not, not it's not like a few spoonfuls right in it yeah but, no, um, no, yeah yeah it's not, I can't say it's something that I enjoy. I enjoyed um, hearts quite, I mean, they're surprisingly nice. Like, it's just it's just like a muscle. I mean, the heart is a muscle, right? So I'm basically a muscle, but you can get your head around it. And, and yeah, so that was good. Um, and I was tra- my training wasn't affected.
0: That's super interesting. Now, can I just, can we just sort of like hold that point there? So you said that you included honey in your approach. So
1: a little and- bit, not much. So I didn't, I didn't really go for the honey very much, but I did include more fruit.
0: OK. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what sort of if you were to um, and I'm not sure whether you have records of this, but just, you know, you know, food. So to, to how much carbohydrate would have been in your. your yeah, sort of
1: I think race? I would have been around 250 grams a day.
0: Oh, so actually fairly moderate.
1: Yeah, but that's quite a lot for me. You know, maybe you may, maybe a little bit more. You know, but um yeah, so I would say between two fifty to three fifty ish, I would Mm. say, maybe. I mean considering I really normally hover around one hundred to one fifty, because I usually go for a low carb, I'm usually a lower carb approach, right? So um so and and it was and it was it was it was good, but the but I'm not doing it now, obviously, because and there's good reasons for that because one of the main things I found was um I found it a little bit too restrictive. I mean, yeah. people think low carb is restrictive. It's nowhere near as restrictive as as what this is because and also because I was training so much and you know, I train what train a lot more than most people, I, I, I my calorie requirements quite high, so I get hungry. And part of my staple is I fill it with a lot of nut butters and nuts and seeds and you know, like I have like a nut um, like the ki the Esfils keto three, which is mostly nuts, estuals bars, which is almond, you know, these things kind of keep me going. Um, and I couldn't have those. So the only way to do it was then I'd have to eat fruit. And then I was just including so much fruit in my diet that then it goes, I'm like, really? Do I really want to include this much fruit in my diet? And I didn't really I didn't really like that. So Yeah.
0: Did you um, have a sense of what was going on with your blood sugar? Like, I don't know if you were yeah, working. I did. Okay. Yeah. I
1: did, yeah. So I wore the super sapiens. I wore the continuous glucose monitor. And it was, if anything, surprisingly, I would say it was moderately lower than more lower and a bit more stable than normal, so mm. yeah do you th-
0: is that do you think due to overall being lower in calories because you weren't able to meet your calorie requirements like what i don't know what if I was
1: not unable to meet my calorie requirements i don't know maybe it, I mean you could argue that it's a bit to do with the hepatic glucose output just because of maybe i 'm a bit less inflamed, maybe you know potentially who 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 knows who knows, but it was because the reason I put it on because I wanted to see but it wasn't really indifferent to what it normally was you know it was despite me having a lot more carbohydrates so um so so I mean my I, I agree with you like I don't think and, and it sounds like a complete cop-out when you say you know, everything in moderation right and like plants I think they're very that they have their benefits in moderation right because of the you know if you think about Hormetus and and how that's, you know, how that, how the chemicals can actually have a positive effect, but too much, anything is in the dose, right? A little bit is good, but, and too much can be harmful. And I do think that most people, you know, go overboard thinking that more is better when it comes to vegetables and specifically leafy greens, like, you know, doing your green smoothies and all that kind of nonsense. I think um, one thing that I have done is I'm, I'm not do I don't have as, I think I, I've, I've, since I've come back, I don't have as many leafy greens. And I've included, um, I've continued to include organ meat in my diet. So I'm nice. continuing to have livers, liver pretty much every day. So because, because it's it's amazing. Like you actually really feel like you get an energy boost when you have it. It's a very straight. Like it's almost immediate.
0: No, I, that is not strange to me because my, so I have the same experience and my friend Ash down in Dunedin and he's, he's very much sort of in tune into sort of health and well being and holistic stuff. And he says exactly the same thing. Like he immediately sparks up when he has liver. It's just so nutrient rich.
1: Yeah. But I, and it may be something to do with the folate, the high levels of folate in the liver you know because there's you know it's the you know highlight high high b9 which is really important for dna rna um, energy production methylation so there might be something that's almost in in, you know some kind of immediate thing because it's almost instantaneous you know like a few minutes later you feel like you have more energy
0: now interesting so i've been doing some work with um a company first light and they're formulating we're, we're just looking at organ meats and and things like that and heart unsurprisingly is an incredibly rich source of coq10 um and i wonder you know whether you get the same lift when you have heart or is it actually is it organ meat across the board for you or is it actually liver is the well, thing Well, I, I think i
1: notice it most with liver yeah but i do i mean i do know i do notice it a bit with heart as well yeah yeah so so we just um we just had we just bought a beast we we had a beast that killed from the yeah so when we just bought like all the insides and the Brilliant. like, Kate bought back this liver, literally massive.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I like
1: a, it's like a backpack, and you think it was a you know it is huge, you know? and yeah. I was like, what the yeah. And, um, so now, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it, organ meat is so so cheap. So, isn't
0: it? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, 100%. So, I was
1: buying it from an organic, so you've got to make sure it's organic, high quality, um, which is generally the case always in New Zealand. But anyone who's listened to this from overseas, you need, you need to make sure mm. it's very good. So, I was getting it from this company called Moorish in New Zealand, which is based in Parmesan North, and they're an organic, and they'd send to the door. So, I would just order it at the center of the door. Oh, amazing. But you could buy like an ox heart, yeah. and an ox heart is literally the size of my head. Which is pretty damn big, Mickey. <laughs> Don't I know it? Don't I know it? <laughs> I, I thought I'd say it before you get before you got in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, but and it's like like thirty five bucks, and it's like a lot of meals in yeah, there. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I could even give it to the kids; they wouldn't even realize it.
0: It's you amazing. Know,
1: it's, it's, like, it's like steak. So another thing that I got got into is I ordered. Um, a protein, a protein shake that you can only get from the US. So I had to send it to my friend in the US. He sent it to me, which is the whole beast, and it's got liver, pancreas, spleen in the protein shake. You wouldn't know it. And the, my kids, two and four, they love this protein shake, and it's such a good way to get good nutrients into your into your kids. Right? Yeah. I know some vegans who are watching this now, think I'm an evil, probably horrible man, but um, you know, it's um, you, you can easily argue against that very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, so it's, 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 I mean, there's great great ways to get organ meat in you without really because it's not not for everyone, right?
0: Well, it's not, and you know, I chat to clients about this all the time because I've got so many of them come to me and they're really low in things like iron, zinc, um, mm. B twelve, which of which liver is like an excellent source of as well as um, folate, and and we chat about organ meat and I get them to put it in with mints, so it's that sort of hiding but equally though i think that those sort of freeze-dried organ supplements yeah
1: yeah 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 they're great
0: mm. they're absolutely
1: great oh yeah those homegrown home primal yeah, yeah 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 so i've um i've i've bought a lot of those so you can get like so i was because i was taking like the man it's called the man booster which had which has testicle in there as well i didn't, i didn't really i didn't really fancy eating the raw testicle to be honest it
0: was kind <laughs> of
1: um, I was drawing the line on that one. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, um homegrown primal like that, such a good company out of Christchurch. And yeah, yeah Thrive Ten, ten percent discount for you.
0: Oh, amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've got a range of them and it's actually getting this is the thing, the supplements, I know you and I talked a lot about supplements the first time we um when I had you on a podcast with me, and it was um it's getting into the habit, it's kind of forming that habit. But if I go back, Dan, to the idea of vegetables and the fact that vegetables are killing, um, killing us. And I just, you know, and purely just from a discussion perspective, I think it's quite interesting to to chat about because, I mean Saladino, I don't know, I just don't know that it's the vegetables that are killing us, or is it all the ultra processed food that people are eating? I mean, how many people yeah. are really getting? I mean, we know people who will go overboard on the green leafies because we know people who are into health, into well being, trying to do the best they can. And if you've mm. got gut related issues, or if, or if you're You know, um, or predominantly sort of gut-related issues, then green leafies are probably not your friend. But you know, for the the general population, I think it's the I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I I also think we're living we're living in a you know the world at the moment. Most if you went down the if you went down the street and you said, okay, what's good for you, what's bad for you? You know, most people think red meat is terribly bad for you.
0: Absolutely, but
1: green green leafies are really good for you, which is just not true yeah that's that's what i think is the problem so people will start avoiding organ meats and meats and in general because i think it's bad then to go overboard on the on the other stuff and i think that's i personally think that's the wrong way to do it i think if you really want to optimize your health you should go for the organ meats and the normal meat with some leafies and vegetables on the side yeah you know so you know the plant you know you can talk plant vegans or even plant based you know which is not much meat i just don't i just don't buy it and And I've never seen it, I've never seen it work long-term. I see, like, people go vegan and have short-term benefits. Generally, they come off a processed, you know, crappy diet. But long-term, they just end up weak and, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, in fact, one of my, yeah, one of my interviews this week, I did with a a woman, Sarah Tanner, who is previously vegan, has a business in and around the plant-based approach, recipe books, um, used to own a cafe now sort of sells products and she's just recently sort of been really transparent said hey i'm now eating animal products because actually my health was really suffering after six years on a vegan approach so no i i completely agree with you and and to your point of what people sort of deem as healthy or unhealthy like on the um fertility's associate website they had put that one to two meals of red meat a month for someone wanting to to try and get pregnant because of the dangers of red meat and infertility, based on a couple of studies by Walter Willett, who we both know as a plant-based advocate, yeah, nutrition yeah. researcher. It's just crazy. Like my- and they're all,
1: and, they're, and as you know, they're all they're all um, causational, right? Every single one of them, every single study is just if it, it, it proves that eating red meat is bad, and it's all causational because. Because those people are having it you know, they're having red meat but they're having it in a burger and it's crappy processed meat, mm. you know. And um yeah, it's, it's 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 obvious. You've you've never seen an experimental controls um study no. that proves it. No. Right? And that's the one you need. And it's never been done. So
0: And um and you know, I am a massive fan of fruit and veg. Veg more than fruit. I love fruit, I love apples, but um I tend to eat more veg. You don't want a
1: crapple though, do you?
0: No, far out no. I'm not a crapple. <laughs> i
1: i I do love an apple i love it i love so the best thing that i have to say about the carnivore well the animal-based approach was i started eating bananas again
0: Mm. i love a banana you just can't beat a banana no you really can't so on that vein Mm. then has your diet um have you incorporated a little bit more of fruit sort of moving forward dan or have they sort of been cut out now you're back to uh, I'm still, I am I am still
1: divulging in a banana every now and again, but that's because, you know, they're in the house and the kids like to eat them, so I have to, but apart from that, like, mm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much back to how I was before, yeah. really. Yeah, But Well, with the, with the, with the inclusion of raw, the, with raw liver every day and some organ meats, because... The, the best thing is now. Like it, I was. I found it really hard to eat raw liver, mm. um, but now it, I can do it quite easily. I don't enjoy it, but it doesn't bother me. Yeah. And it's it's just it's a very. I and mean, I think it's a very good skill to have because you. It's how do you cook it every day? It's a pain in the backside to cook every day, and how what are you going to include it in your food. So you just I, I just take it every you know with at lunchtime, and then that's that. Yeah. And,
0: yeah so nice I am um, and for those people who are wanting to try a little bit of that stuff then I would suggest um I like pate I mean most people like pate oh actually that's not true it's probably a 50-50 split but equally like it's feel like you could make pate out of your liver that would be a delicious way to incorporate it or just incorporate it with like your mints like that's so easy yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because you can make it into the mints. Mm. I mean, I've even known people to incorporate it into bolognese.
0: Oh well. yeah, delish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's that, a good that, way to do work it. Quite
1: well. Yeah, you can just make the only the only organ meat I can't I can't take. I just do not like kidney.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Oh, it tastes like piss. Come oh. on. <laughs> you
0: know? Actually, I have I have not had kidney, um, lately, oh, or maybe I, I even at all. Raw, actually,
1: gross. And then I tried to boil it for a bit.
0: Oh, and mate. that was
1: even worse.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound yeah. good actually. That's, that no. just reminds me of sort of Brussels sprout memories for whatever reason. No, it's
1: not. It just it's not it's not great. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't do me any favours. I'm not I'm not a big fan.
0: Yeah. So um Dan, sort of moving on then, so if you've um come off sort of back to your somewhat norm, maybe with a little less veg and a little more organ meat, um, HRV, have you noticed any sort of shift in that have you gone back to your norm have you sort of maintained that
1: um so so um one thing about when i did the animal base is i i didn't drink any alcohol um and i think that was a main main contributing factor okay and interesting. i haven't started again i haven't drunk any alcohol now in six months or so
0: yeah 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 um
1: so i actually just go for alcohol free beers There's a there's a company um called freezy they are um, good. Who's, who's, who's owned by my, who's owned by one of my friends. Actually, he's one of the partners. Um, he's one of the I was mates as well. Um, so yeah, I just order from him and he brings you know, he just brings the alcohol free beers and I still enjoy the alcohol free beer. Um, I think so. I've continued to do that, but yeah, my my H R V it's it's um, it did go up for that like long period of time there, but then it kind of did come back down, and now it's then I got sick and it came down even more, but now it's kind of just normal again. I wouldn't say it's high; it's just kind of what it was before. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, but
1: yeah.
0: So Dan, on to my next favorite topic, sodium.
1: Yes, you wrote a, you wrote a bit of a piece about this not long ago. Hey?
0: Yeah, I did, and you know, much as you described, sort of how red meat has been villainized um and continues to be even though i feel like there's more you know the more sort of health professionals that are out there um um talking about it um eating it you know showing that you're not going to die because you eat it um i'd say the same is absolutely said for sodium so um i wrote a piece about it how it's often sort of the thing that we think about with regards to hypertension high blood pressure but actually unless you are salt sensitive, then sort of making changes, particularly if you are a healthy individual who doesn't have high blood pressure, then actually not getting enough salt could be more of an issue than having too much salt. So um, what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, because you had, did you have Rick Johnson on your podcast?
0: Yeah, I did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because he, because he, I mean my understanding now having I mean, listen, I mean listen to him is that the, it's the combination of salt and fructose that's the real issue when it comes to hypertension. Yeah. So salt will make an acute change but the combination of fructose and salt can make a a chronic change. Is that is that right? Is that Yeah, is that that's how,
0: that's how I see it as well like the Yeah. that you know often we think that it's the salt but to your point about how people villainize red meat that comes within, to you know, a white bread burger or whatever. Mm. Same could be said for salt being part of processed food that also comes along with high fructose corn syrup or sucrose. It has that component of fructose that then sports c- drinks, yeah, sports drinks that then can create like a bit of a a bit of an issue. But of course, with athletes, you're an athlete. I'm somewhat athlete getting the balance right with sodium I think is a really important point
1: yeah yeah I mean it's an interesting topic because I think it's totally um I think it's people think about it too I think athletes are too obsessed with electrolytes and sodiums. okay and sodium like you know they you know the amount of questions that I would get about how much sodium should it be taking an hour you know when you when I'm when I'm racing or when I'm training and like I just I think it's I mean you say it's been vilified on one side but I also think it's been overhyped on from the sports setting like massively overhyped to how important it is because I just do not think it is it's important but it's not important to the fact where you have to know your individual sweat sodium levels and be and be taking in sodium at the, a, a specific individualized rate you know um so my, my stance is that I think you know sodium should not be avoided and I when my athletes that I coach and work with they, you know you should definitely salt your foods you know be mindful of sodium take take an LM L- you know the element um, sodium drink take it um have it in your sports drinks and whatnot and it, it'll have some have some benefits you know it'll help it'll help with the thirst response and whether it's going to be and it but one thing it's not going to be doing it's not going to be stopping you getting cramp and it's not going to be and it might help with a bit of gastrointestinal absorption of the carbohydrates potentially but only only to certain amounts right it doesn't have to be It doesn't have to be a a amount that's associated with your own, you know, whether you're a salty, what quote unquote, salty sweater. So, um, so that's how that's my my stance. I think sweat testing is just a total bit of a waste of time.
0: Do you know many people who who sort of do that, or you hear people in your space sort of talk about it? Because it was quite a big thing. All the time,
1: all the time. I know nearly nearly everyone. I know so many people who've done it.
0: Like that's crazy. So. Talk to us about why sweat testing is actually um, is a waste of time. Because I don't think that pe- obviously, if it's still a thing, then people are unaware of what it does or doesn't tell you.
1: Yeah. So, so th- there are there are some conditions, right, where people are salty sweaters. Generally, like cystic fibrosis, right. So it's not. But there, there are. You do. There is. I'm not saying there's not such a thing as a salty sweater, and some people do need to pay particular attention to the amount of salt they're taking but these are these are medical conditions that are new and far between and very very rare but the main the main point is is that sweat rate or your sorry the salt in your sweat is primarily determined by how much salt you have in your diet so if you took your if you went through like four weeks and you changed how much salt you're going to be eating in that week and you took a sweat test every week your, your the sweat sodium content would change massively so there's there's a massive, with like between individual variation in sweat sodium, but there's also a massive within variation of sweat sodium. So you, it doesn't, you know, and it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. You, it just doesn't matter. You and you, you also have a lot of internal salt stores, and like some would say it's between fifty and one hundred fifty grams, but some would argue that there's a lot more than that. You know, the, um, the, you know, you can even pull, you can even pull salt out of the bone if you wanted to. Um, so. So that's that that's what I am um, that's why I think it's a, a waste of time. And even if you could measure your sweat sodium, it changes on how much you're sweating. So that changes with how much what the climate is, and that changes with the intensity. It's just so, so varied. And then to drinking a sports drinks that's matching your requirements, you just you're more likely and to to run the risk of taking too much sodium, increasing your thirst response and then drinking too much and then becoming overhydrated and then running a slow marathon.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: the, one of the reasons that we have salt in our sweat is to help with the thirst response, right? We remove salt from as we sweat and it reduces the it somewhat reduces the serum osmolarity and it delays the thirst response and that's an evolutionary evolutionary advantage that we is a good thing. Yeah. Um so you take if you take too much salt you just get overly thirsty and you'll drink more than you need to. Yeah. Um
0: yeah, that's so interesting. So like that's the intra variation, intra individual variation. So the variation that I might have if I go five times and change, you know, my diet or yeah. each of the day. Um, that's one point. But of course what you say about the conditions, like a lot of these sweat tests that as I understand it are done in a lab under a similar condition, which might be quite temperate or it might be quite cold. It you might not have the wind, you don't have, you know, other factors that contribute to um how much you sweat nerves i reckon like if you're nervous you're probably probably and, and,
1: and, and, and a major one is duration so yeah. if you if you exercise over the course of an Ironman, like your sweat rate is not the same your your sweat rate will be much less at the back end than it is at the front end you, your sweat rate reduces over time yeah so again it's another thing you have to consider with the with, with the, in the whole that whole cascade i mean there's a guy called um a, a researcher called marty hoffman who turned a lot in sodium and you know and he showed that he did a, a great study that was uh i think it was in ultra runnings and i think it was in tanawira tanawira ultra here yes. and basically and he showed that the, those who took more sodium ran slower
0: yeah interesting because they
1: drank more and they didn't lose any body weight
0: yeah yeah
1: when we sweat, which is quite counterintuitive when we when we sweat the so the 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 salt in the blood goes up doesn't go down mm. it goes up because you know because of the osmosis and the osmolarity of the blood versus what what's coming out in the sweat right
0: yeah. So, yeah.
1: and another really good point and um is that there's been so many studies that have been done that look at serum osmolarity so the amount of salt in your blood after different ultra endurance events. So, um, so, you know, after Ironman, after ultra runs, after marathons and sweat sodium, and sorry, the serum osmolarity, so the amount of sodium in your blood is the same, regardless of, it always stays the same, Yeah. regardless of how much sodium you take, regardless of how long the event is, because you you hold it in such a tight regulated form. So if it, if it's really that important and it's really varying that much, um, then why 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 don't we see some differences which we, we just don't?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's so interesting. Now, what about Kona in hot environments? And I really want to pick your brain on this because I always feel so um I, I feel so stumped when someone's like, So what shall I do about my sodium and electrolytes in Kona? Because I just haven't seen any great literature to say that in a really temperate environment that you're um, sodium levels increase or your um i don't know drive for thirst increases obviously but what is your understanding on that dan
1: yeah well there, there's some there's some really good studies actually that have looked at thermoregulatory like core temperature and other thermal regulatory markers and sodium to see if you know it affects it helps you maintain your core temperature and and uh and whatnot i mean there's no it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't do any of those things so it does, it's not going to mean you stay cooler. The only benefit it might help you drink a little bit more. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm not I'm not saying I think you want sodium available to you, have it in your drinks and whatnot, but you don't need to increase just because it's hot. You know, it just you don't need to increase it. Just have it readily available. Okay. Then you know, because it's not it it's been shown that it doesn't make any difference to the thermoregulation makes the zero difference so it's not really i mean when i did counter, I people ask me all the time like what did you what, what was your sodium um you know what did you do for your sodium intake during the race and i, I have no clue because i didn't i couldn't even tell you i didn't pay attention to it i couldn't even give you any idea i didn't even know how much was in my sports drink
0: yeah and i have you know athletes swear by the salt pills that they might take every half hour and and what i generally say to them is hey, if that's what you normally do then just keep doing what you normally do, you know, because there's in part, you know, and I don't know how you feel about this, but so much of what goes on on race day is as much psychological as it is sort of, mm-hmm. you know, training like that. If someone's got a a routine that's really worked for them, I don't necessarily love um, sort of switching it up for them.
1: Yeah, there is a bit of that, of course, but I do think um, the sodium will, um, I mean, those salt pills will just make you very, very thirsty and then you'll end up drinking more. Yeah. That's what it will do. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, how, that's how your thirst response is governed, right? It's governed by that sodium that salt's going in. It's going to affect your serum osmolarity, and the serum osmolarity is going to make you want to drink more water to make it back to where it should be. And then I think it's just – I think it would unrail you mm. if you – if you. Start, I mean, I know people swear by it, but I just – yeah. I mean, I remember when I did Kona in 2015, someone gave me a salt pill on the on the queen K. And I for some because I was dying a thousand deaths, I thought, I'll take anything at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember specifically taking it and it, I just immediately just was so thirsty. Oh
0: god, yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: So it's it's funny, like um I remember listening to this. Well, well, you like, you know, because obviously sodium is associated with cramping as well, right? Um, but people think it's associated with cramping, which it isn't. It's mostly cramping is mostly associated with mus- muscle fatigue, doing it don't doing pacing poorly doing things like going out harder than you have not preparing properly in the race if you want to reduce cramping then do proper training and make sure the training is specific towards the event but the reason i'm telling this story is because um craig alexander who's three-time mind one world champion he was notorious for pushing you know saying how important salt was and he says and he tells this story um of how he did did an Ironman and he ran out I think it was Andreas Rayler and they ran out and he t- says and we were running faster than we've ever run before and the pace was so hard and then he cramped in the last like down coming down um, polani on, on the last like stretch just before the drive and um, and he and he blamed it on forgetting to take his sodium his salt pills <laughs> yeah you know yeah. and he's like you know such a I mean are you sure it wasn't the fact that you ran harder than you've ever run in the first 25 <laughs> yeah you know, like this is this is the kind of, but it's easy easy to think of the easy solution, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I think. Everyone's guilty of that, though. They think that finding it's easier for me to say to you, take salt pills, it'll sort out your cramping. It's not easy for me to say, do a four hour ride at your Ironman pace and make sure you run for thirty k your Ironman pace off it. Yeah, you know, you, you know that that's the that's the hard way to do it, but that's the way that it will work. Yeah.
0: So. Um. Now, Dan, you did mention that. Um, during an ultra event, your sweat rate changes and therefore your fluid requirements change. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I don't know that that's a very well-known concept either. You know, a lot of people think that they've got this X sort of set amount of carbohydrate and set amount of fluid that they need to hit each hour. So what do we know about how that changes?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, how much it changes over time, I don't, I'm not really that sure. Mm. Um I mean I don't know I think I think it's very individual, but it's a known it's known that sweat rate changes over time as i mean anyone knows that themselves right i mean everyone you can i mean I don't even have to tell people if you think about when you're on the trainer you sweat a lot more in that first hour than you would in the third and fourth hour and uh and I'm not sure I don't know what the physiological mechanisms are behind it. I haven't really looked into it, but I'm assuming it's some sort of you know you're kind of you, you you start sweating and then you kind of maybe you're cool enough or you're, you know, you get better at cooling yourself down. You you overcompensate at the start. I'm not really sure, but I, I know that most people aren't aware of it. So, you know, I remember when people will weigh, do pre post body weights from do an hour and it's like, again, total, that's another total waste of time. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I mean, as you, I mean, the fluid, even the fluids when you do those pre post body weights, I mean the one of the main one of the main determinants or the rate limiting fats of fluid absorption is gastric gastrointestinal absorption. Yeah. Right. So you know people will weigh themselves and go I, I you know I lose one point six liters an hour in the heat, but you can't drink one point six liters an yeah. hour, so you're just going to have to try and go for around one point three. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know? And
1: that, that's kind of always my guidelines to um, racing in the heat, like really hot conditions. Is you know most people between one and one point three liters. Any more than that, most people can't absorb it. Yeah. And you just end up in your pants. So
0: and then yeah. is it just sort of survival in that back into that marathon?
1: Yeah. Well, the bet what you what you need to do, what's been very shown, um shown in the literature is very clear that starting an event in a well hydrated yeah. state is is very important for your thermoregulatory requirements, for your performance, definitely shown. So you've got to think about starting the marathon as well hydrated as you possibly can be is definitely important yeah. right so you you like you want to always consider the the marathon like you would starting it fresh so that would mean eating on the bike yeah taking fluids on the on the on the bike as much as you possibly can and then you actually want to dehydrate a little bit so there's physiological dehydration and voluntary dehydration so the f- mm-hmm. voluntary dehydration is when you naturally you don't you're not thirsty because you're losing sodium like we talked about you you maintain your blood plasma volume because you have intracellular and extracellular fluid shifts um is it is it seventy percent of your intracellular thirty percent extracellular is that right of your hundred I think it's something like that yeah okay but anyway the, the bottom line I can't remember now. Um, but the bottom line is you can move, you know, you have a lot of movement of water around your body to maintain your blood plasma volume, which is the most important thing. Um, so, but you, you want to lose weight during the, the marathon because you actually end up running a bit quicker. And yes. And again, it's shown time and time again, running marathons is a very strong correlation between those who r- lose the most weight during the marathon and they, um, and those who, um, run faster. So, during an Ironman, you wanna you wanna try and maintain as best you can to start that marathon um as as well hydrated and as well topped up on carbohydrates as you possibly can, then you wanna kinda lose a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, I mean in a in a in a temperate or a cold climate, it's not as important, right? Because you won't be losing as much fluid. You don't probably have to probably drink to thirst a little bit more. I think that would be like racing in New Zealand, type of Ironman, drink to thirst. I think that's a very good. Um Guideline, but anything hot, you need to be a little bit more cognizant on the bike specifically
0: yeah, that's a really great advice actually, because I feel like a lot of people panic about their strategy in such a long event because of course they don't want to bonk you know last minute, but of course, part of that bonking could well be their fat adaptation you know strategies yeah, yeah well yeah. you know earlier than, than in the event, but that's definitely given some people something to think about now, hey, slight tangent. So, there was a human o s article that came through my email talking about lactate and its ability to suppress appetite. Are you aware of that literature what's
1: human o s
0: it's a great question it is <laughs> it is it's a um it's sort of like a website set up by this guy and gosh like, what is his name? His name's Dan or Danny, and it sort of looks at sleep and it looks at health and it's it was quite big. In that sort of health space, maybe I was much more aware of it like four or five years ago, but now there are other sort of places like Levels and Super Sapiens who sort of have trumped on the health aspect, but they do articles on health. So there is research, um, and the most recent research study was looking at rodents, and then there have been clinical trials, not clinical trials, there have been human trials as well, showing that a 20 to 30 second bout of activity that pushes lactate from one to two to like up to 20 can suppress appetite in that next meal when you eat around 70 minutes after that sort of exercise. So, so the sort of the premise of the article was, Hey, can this be used as an appetite suppressing agent? And then that was obviously a rodent study and it was done over 10 days. And across that 10 days, there was a reduction in body weight as well as leptin. No, I'm sorry, as well as ghrelin. So ghrelin is, an, is a hormone responsible for, for hunger. And then they looked at sort of what the human trials have found. And now the human trials haven't um, been long-term. They've just been acute studies. So they've been at this one point in time where they go and they make people do this hard-out session, much as I described, and then they let them go and eat whatever they like at a buffet. And those people who had done that 20 to 30 seconds, ate 250 calories less at the buffet, than when they weren't doing the exercise.
1: 250 calories, that's, that's a starter.
0: <laughs> well, it, is, it is a starter, but let's say let's say that you were working with someone and they wanted to improve their body composition. And as a strategy as part, so maybe they're a hungry person, so you're working with them and they really struggle to cont- regulate their appetite for a range of reasons, even if you give them all of the gold standard things to do to help make you feel satisfied and they're still not satisfied. Um... Not a bad sort of heck to add in across I the mean, week, right? Means,
1: I mean, I mean, so firstly, like just from being around a lot of athletes and anecdotally, you see it all the time, right? If after a very high intensity workout, people don't really feel like eating after a high lactate.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, but I, my, I would uh, wonder about how high it actually has to be because I don't think two millimoles would be enough, right? It'd 20. Be, yeah, yeah, 20 is crazy high. And, well, yeah. and you know what most 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 people won't be able to get to 20.
0: That's interesting. I'd really be interested to know because I'm pretty sure that the 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 rate that they got these little rodents at and maybe even the human trials will see you the the research I, I, article.
1: I don't I mean 20 is a very high number for a lactate. You you mean you only expect you mean you have to be very glycolytic so have a very strong anaerobic energy system to get to that. I mean you or me no chance. Absolutely no chance of us getting anywhere near it. So,
0: now finally, Dan, can I ask you about your research study, which we were chatting about on text last week, that you thought um, I'd be interested in, and you were right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was literally just accepted yesterday in Sports Med. It's been a long time coming. So, so this was basically it was uh, my PhD student Jeff Rothschild, who you've had on your show. I know that. Um, he's a bit of he's a he's a wizard bit of a wizard um so we got more than 400 studies and basically we looked at the kind of what try to predict a model that um can predict fat oxidation during exercise or or not fat oxidation rer so respiratory exchange ratio which is um which basically basically your combustion of carbs versus carbohydrates during exercise so we it was a pooled analysis that looked at, okay, what are the main drivers of either fat oxidation or carbohydrate oxidation? Mm-hmm. So particularly with these models, you cannot, you know, this kind of machine learning, machine learning models and different types of models. You can build lots of different models to see how easily you can predict it based on a number of factors. So for example, you might have in duration of exercise, whether the person had carbohydrate during exercise, what was their muscle glycogen content? Um, what's the fat in their diet? um how what's their vo2 max what's their gender what's their age you know you put all these things into one model and it'll be like okay with, with that it means that their, you know the rer is 0.7 right so 0.7 for an rer would be 100 percent fat one on an rer is 100 percent carbohydrate pretty much okay. so you know so you can put those into a model and, and can you kind of predict what that's going to be so um one of the things that we uh one of the things that was interesting out of that, is that with all these things that we put into the model and we put in a lot of those things so we put in habitual um muscle glycogen content carbohydrate during exercise intensity of exercise duration of exercise gender um uh, I will I will miss some of these out age mm. um habitual diet so fat content in the diet um and there was and I think that they were the main the main ones from memory and we could predict 61% of what the RIR is, which actually isn't a lot. It sounds like it's a lot, but usually with these models, you can get a lot, you can get quite a bit tighter. Um, so so that's interesting. So that means there's a, oh, we also put in muscle fiber type, fast yeah. or slow switch. Um, so with all those things accounted for, you could still only account for 61% of what's happening actually during exercise. And that's not much when you consider that. So it, one of the things that we were brought out of the paper is that there's, there's definitely something that we're not looking at when it comes to um, substrate use during exercise. There's some things that we don't really know what's having these main implications or these main these main driving factors to in, influence your substrate use during exercise. But some of the really interesting things that came out of the paper that well, I thought were really interesting... Well, obviously, what we know that duration of exercise is a main main player in fat oxidation or fat metabolism. So, the longer you exercise, the more it's going to drive up your fat oxidation. So, if you're, so I mean, a take-home message for any athlete who's looking to do well in ultra endurance, Kona, Ironman, you you just can't get by without doing long training sessions, and that's why and people know that intuitively, right? People know that you you can't train for an Ironman without doing a six-hour ride or doing a three-hour run. You know you just can't do. it You're not going to do it by just doing lots of one-hour sessions and plenty of fueling, right? And then the carbohydrate that you took during the exercise it, it really, really after an hour, or an hour and a half, it did nothing to your fat metabolism. So you could take. I mean, in the early stages, it did a little bit, but then after an hour and a half, it didn't really do anything. So you can take. So if, to keep your fat oxidation the same, you can start taking carbohydrates. You know, an hour and a half in wouldn't wouldn't change your fat metabolism at all. So that's another interesting um, factor. Well, some of the can I can I just
0: stop you there? And um, with oh, sorry, that, then, well, go on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so sorry, I just want to know. Um, so with that in mind, taking the carbohydrate, just so people are clear, that will help maintain performance, right, and pace and intensity because you've got that fuel coming in. My yeah problem.
1: yeah but de- depending on how hard you're going yeah not i mean if you're just going on an easy easy steady ride then probably not you
0: know yeah
1: but if you're doing something that's a little bit more high end you know closer to like you know half for triathletes who are listening like 70.3 percent of your threshold kind of stuff you know 80 to 90 percent then yeah That would definitely maintain, yeah, for sure. But again, it's all individual, right? Depends on what your fat metabolism is generally, and all all that kind of thing. So yeah, it would for sure.
0: Yeah, awesome. Sorry, go on. (laughs)
1: Um, And now I forgot where I was. No, the um, and but one of the main interesting factors that I thought came out of it was um, when it came to fat metabolism. It seemed like um, habitual fat in your diet was more important than low carbohydrate so so the having a having a lot of fat in your diet or a high fat diet was very good for your fat metabolism um more so than just low carbohydrate so yeah i mean i think it's it's interesting right because then you go well you can't have really high carbohydrates and high fat otherwise you'll end up the size of a balloon right so that but we always go either high fat and low carb because we have to balance right but it, it does show that having more fat in your diets Helps with your fat metabolism. And the reason being is because of um, most likely because it upregulates a lot of enzymes that are important with fat metabolism. So something like CD36, for example, is an enzyme that's really important to bring fat fatty acids into the into the cell, into the muscle cell. Um, you know, upregulated massively on a, on a higher fat diet. So we we actually tested this in one of one of my PhD students, he tested CD36. And mine specifically, someone who's got a high fat metabolism on a high fat diet was way higher than anyone else's, like
0: oh, significantly
1: higher. Um, so that's one thing. There's other there's other enzymes as well that are associated. So that's probably the main reason why. Um, but then also another thing was muscle glycogen content is more is very important as well. So starting with a low muscle glycogen content will mean that you will then do that exercise with. High fat metabolism as well. So you think about what that means, right? So this this changed my way of thinking is that now it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be fasted to have a high fat metabolism. You mm-hmm. could get away with doing some training the day before, having a low carbohydrate meal, waking up that morning, having some carbohydrates close to when you're exercising, which will boost your blood glucose. And it won't boost your muscle glycogen and you could still have, I mean, that's to be proven, but that's the way I'm thinking about it. It could still promote your um, fat oxidation during.
0: Are you just justifying that banana? Is this what you're doing?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I can't do it though. I tell you what, that's one thing that that's one thing that I was really struggling with, Mickey, when I was on. I couldn't find good foods to eat before I'd exercise because I hate having carbs before I exercise. It makes me yeah yeah it makes me feel really wushy. So I would yeah. my, my go to I get I train in the morning. I try and get all my training done first thing, so you know I'm, I'm done, and then I'll just work the rest of the day. So I'll, I'll literally I'll stack it often. I'll swim, bike, run, boom, 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 like yeah, really quick, so I can. But I'll I'll always have a coffee.
0: Yeah.
1: So my go-to is I have a coffee with collagen, a tablespoon of exogenous ketones,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: a um S fuels bar. That's mm-hmm. an but- S fuels bar is only 180 grams. But it's also, Yeah,
0: yeah. You 180 calz.
1: Yeah, oh, sorry, 180 cal, yeah. Um but then I'm I'm good to go on anything then. I can do like, you know, I might have some stuff during like some S fuels train or some prime in my body. Um
0: no, that's great, Dan. So, so really, the 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 sort of take homes that we know, of which only sixty percent is explained. So there's a whole sort of forty percent um, that we're not really sure. Yeah,
1: and one oh, yeah. other thing was slow twitch. Slow twitch. People who are more slow twitch muscle fibers would generally have higher fat, higher lower rer, higher fat oxidation, and which is also, I mean, that's that's a given, right? I think we, yeah. we would have known that. Like slow twitch muscle fibers more oxidative more mitochondria mitochondria is very important for beta oxidation and fat metabolism so it's to be expected really but that's another thing that was um that was that came out of it so so you and me slow twitch monsters (laughs) with your with your running cadence you'll you'll probably (laughs) be doing fat metabolism for days
0: (laughs) i'll be out there for hours i'm so perfectly set up for a 250 miler right (laughs) <laughs> um, well, it, well, that is interesting because you know I was when you sent me the text, I was just editing another PhD's thesis, and um, which their study showed the same thing that it was the diet it, that carbohydrate prior to exercise didn't suppress fat oxidation if the muscle glyc when the muscle glycogen content was low. Yeah, there, so, you go. there
1: you yeah. go. So yeah, so it's really good, right? Because I think like for a long time now, I, I mean. I was, I was, I did a lot, quite a lot of fasted training in the past, but I don't really do it anymore. And and I, and, you know, maybe I, I kind of intuitively knew something, but I mean, when I say fasted, I, I have an S fuels bar, which is zero carbs and one hundred and eighty calories, right? So it's not like it's much, but it's something. And even, yeah. And even like, and the main reason I made the shift was because Jeff and I, in his PhD, studies we did that study that looked at fat metabolism during exercise when you had carbohydrates. Um, carbohydrates fasted or protein and when you had protein that was pretty much the same as being fasted anyway so yeah. you know so i think and i think it's important for athletes it's a good way to do it you can have you can get you know and we talk you know think about energy availability now for athletes if you really want to think about your fat metabolism and you're not keen on going for a low carb approach a good approach is just to have a low carbohydrate meal and then have p- pure protein in the morning and then you're getting the best of both worlds because you'll get your some energy um, from from the protein, and then you can do your exercise as well. But I will say with the caveat is that we we just don't know, and it's not really been proven if you know these small and you know these small acute changes that we make during exercise have chronic changes long term to our fat metabolism. We don't really know, but it it begs. I mean, the law of the principles of training and the principle of specificity and the law of adaptation um was it set the specific adaptation for induced demands, right? Yeah. said principle it has to be there has to be something in it if you do things that regulate your fat metabolism during training, I just would i have to you know i'd bet i'd bet be, better, better about all that it will have long term implications or you know improve your fat metabolism
0: totally and of course, when you improve your fat metabolism, you just go further for longer. Like you're able to, you're not. you definitely um less likely to sort of bonk. Yeah. Um. Well, that is awesome. And what I'll do, and I don't know that it'll be out by the time that we publish this, but if it is, I'll pop a link to the paper. Yeah. In, in the in it the should out, it should be out because it's.
1: I think it's um very very close to being to being out. So that is awesome. Um, yeah.
0: Great, Dan. And uh, so finally, anything else? Anything else you want to finish up on? I had something in my head,
1: Mickey, and now I completely forgot what it is. Oh. This is what I was going to tell you um, so so one of the things that that Jeff was going to do in his PhD um, was we one of the questions you want to answer was okay when you um, what you eat just before exercise, how does that affect your training adaptation so if you eat carbohydrates before, if you eat um, protein before if you eat um, your facet before how does that affect you long term? so the study was basically. You had there was a thing as a three-week training intervention, pre-time trials and some performance tests, and then you did training. And before key sessions, you would either have protein or you would have carbohydrates or you would do it fasted. Then we did a post-test. Problem with COVID locked everything down, so we had not many subjects come through. But the first few subjects that completed was damning for carbohydrates before exercise.
0: Like, interesting
1: yeah really blunted some adaptations whereas the other the other two proteins and fasting were getting much much better yeah. so interesting yeah like i'm just so gutted that we never finished it i mean i'm not saying that that's i'm not saying that this is this is now hearsay because it's not because we didn't finish the study but i think you know, it was pointing it was you know at that time it was pointing towards that way but i thought that was pretty interesting as well
0: and and do you think in part because those participants coming in potentially weren't glycogen depleted?
1: Um I, I, I think there's some kind of downregulation of um AMPK um potentially um some down regulations of some other um critical cellular markers for um mitochondrial biogenesis and like up-regulation of PGC1 alpha. I think I think that's what it is. And that's been, you know, you know, so there have been some studies that show that lower muscle glycogen availability regulates AMPK for example um So there's, I think it's more along those lines that there might be something going on with some blunting adaptations for which is why which is why people do a lot, you know, like the there's a lot of literature whereas the sleep low sleep low stuff because it uh, being glycogen depleted and training in a glycogen depleted state does upregulate some of the cellular signals for training adaptation. So I think there might be something a little bit more in that than than anything else.
0: Yeah. Oh, awesome, Dan. Um, so. For you for the next six months, what can we expect?
1: Um, just well, I'm just gonna focus on focus on endure IQ, getting that up and up and rolling. Um so our squad's going um pretty strong. Um hopefully we might look launch a few new courses along the way. And um, yes. yeah. And uh, and yeah, apart from that, um yeah, just um just keeping on working with my pros, really. I've got I've got quite a good like, stack of pros now. So I've got Javier Gomez, Jan van Berkel, Chelsea Sodaro, Pablo de Pino, and they're all, you know, they require a lot of work. And, you know, I think you know, it's my two main things that I enjoy most is my PhD students and my research and my working with my pros. And I really enjoy, enjoy that stuff. So that's, um, that's a lot of my focus. Um, yeah, we've got a new amazing. PhD student starting who's looking at, like, machine learning and athlete readiness, which oh, is yeah, really, really cool one. And he's, he's, he's awesome. And So he's from India and he's coming just finally, hopefully he's going to get into the country. So um, hopefully he'll be here soon.
0: That sounds great, Dan. Well, we will put links to Endura IQ, to your uh, paper, to that um, Human OS paper, and I'll fire that through to you. Not a paper, that article on that lactate yeah. thing to get your sort of view. That's sort of interesting. And, of course, um, to your Instagram, which you always get great, some great tips. Great yeah, the ground. Um, and also,
1: with, with Enduro Q at our training squad. So, if anyone is a triathlete and they want to join our community of Endurons, as I like to call them, Endure like on Enduron You know, it's, it's, it's catchy, isn't it? Hey, I love it. So if you want to join the community, we have weekly webinars. Once a month, we have an Endurance by Science session where we, you know, we've talked about durability last week. Sometimes we'll go over a racing, we talk about high intensity indoor training or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, check it out because we got a promo of two weeks for free at the moment.
0: Amazing. That's awesome, Dan. Thank you. Um, Enjoy your rest of your long weekend and catch you soon.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mickey. Bye bye.
0: So, hopefully, you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And Dan is such a wealth of information, and I'm really looking forward to what he's doing. Over the next six months or so, for the rest of 2022. Next week on the podcast, I have the pleasure of chatting to Dr. Stephen Cunane. all about ketones and brain health. Until then, though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, on Twitter and Instagram at Mickey Willardin, and over on my website, MickeyWillardin.com, where. In addition to the plans that I mentioned earlier, you can book a one-on-one consult with me. Alright team, enjoy the rest of your day. See you later.